Today on Blue 50, the Packers have an elite running back who is about to be a free agent. You may have heard. Should they pay him? Should they trust the analytics? Is the answer both? Probably not, but let's find out together. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. I'm very happy to be with you here for another episode. It's a great day, Northwest Ohio. Uh, beautiful weather out. It is fall. Uh, just a It feels like football weather outside. Crisp temperatures in the air, and I hope it is as nice where you are as it was where I live today because it's just a a gorgeous fall day. And, you know, judging by how the rest of the world is going, I just, I hope it's not either on fire or having a hurricane near you, and that doesn't narrow it down a whole lot. If it is, um, I'm thinking of you. Hopefully, I think this podcast brings a little, little, little joy to your day. If you are a Patreon subscriber, hopefully there was a little joy that landed in your email inbox earlier today as we record this. Uh, Dropped what I think is our biggest post yet there, outside of the one that we did that had a fact about everybody on the Packers roster. But we, we did a little film study, did a little breaking down on how the Packers are using their fullback like players. They don't technically have any fullbacks on the roster, but if you are not a supporter yet, this may be the one to check out. Um, it's a dollar a month. That's all we ask from people. We drop a little bit of content there, but you help us keep us keep doing what we're doing here. Your support goes a long way uh, towards just helping us bring you the best content we can, offset some of the costs here, and just shows that you value what you're doing. That does mean a lot. So if, if you've been on the fence, give that a look, and, and I think it'll be worth your dollar just to read that. So give that a look. Uh, really proud of it, and uh, would love to hear your thoughts about it. We've got some more stuff to talk about regarding the Packers roster before we get into our main topic, which is, of course, Aaron Jones. But we've gotten a really good question uh, from our man George here. We got an email to the inbox at thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. And we're actually in the unique position of having kind of a backlog of questions here, questions that are a little bit evergreen. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be trying to answer much as many of those as we can. If you haven't uh, had your question answered yet, uh, give us... Give us a little bit of time. We're trying to get to him as quickly as we, as we can. But uh, George has a good question here that the Packers couldn't wait one more day to give us a real good window to answer. Nevertheless, I think we should talk about this because it's going to be something that affects the Packers, I think, for the rest of this season. George asks, I haven't heard it discussed, but the Packers appeared to be delaying filling out their roster to 53. They placed Equinemius St. Brown on injured reserve. They should have already placed Lane Taylor on injured reserve, but have not. While the 16-man practice squad and two-player weekly elevation has minimized the impact, is there some advantage here? Are the Packers manipulating salaries to save against the cap for next year, or is there some other reason why they would not fill out the 53 in front of the Lions game? Good question, George. Thank you for listening. Again, if you would like to to ask a question for the show, email probably the best route. I find you can ask the most nuanced questions there, thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com, or just click that uh, contact button at thepowersweep.com as well. So obviously a couple caveats here, and we should talk about the roster moves the Packers made just like an hour or two ago. Uh, Lane Taylor now officially on injured reserve with that torn ACL, but the Packers did not immediately do that, even though it was clear within a day of the game after the the Packers played the Vikings that he would not be coming back this season. Uh, so he is now on injured reserve. The Packers have also released Greg Roberts. Quick note about Greg Roberts. 
the ultimate case study of traits over production. Was not a productive player at Baylor. There were a lot of excuses made for that. Well, I went through a bunch of schemes, didn't really have a defined position, but look at his physical attributes. Big, tall guy. Looks like a Zadarius Smith type, maybe a little bit bigger even. A lot of good athletic attributes there, and it never really translated in Green Bay. He was hurt a lot. I think something at one point had like two practices in two seasons. Just hasn't worked out, and they have now released him from uh, from the practice squad. But Lane Taylor now on injured reserve. The Packers, though, did not put him there immediately, went into the Lions game uh, actually short on their active roster. Why are they doing this? Well, let's talk about what it isn't first. I don't think this is cap manipulation, at least not for next year. I don't think the Packers are actually gaining all that much space cap-wise. So it's really not like they're clearing a bunch of space by doing this and shifting it into next year, leaving spots open on their roster. So I don't think that's what it is. Plus, any savings they would have had on Lane Taylor were already realized anyway when he redid his contract. And for what it's worth, Equinemius St. Brown's cap hit is only like $450,000 anyway. So that's pretty small. This also just doesn't seem like the healthiest roster practice. Why not just put guys up on the 53? At least in a normal year, that's what you do. Why burn spots moving guys up and down? You can only bring guys up from the practice squad to the 53 and then send them back down again twice per player. So just as a, for instance, John Lovett has done that twice now. So he has to either be put on the active roster permanently or submitted to waivers. Obviously, I don't think the Packers want to submit him to waivers given what they've done with him early in the year here, but you never know. Uh, But they can't put him back on the practice squad now. So what is the advantage to doing this? I'm not necessarily seeing one. So what is it then? I don't think it's cap savings. I don't think it's just leaving roster spots open. I think... This is probably just going to be the way it is this year because of how Brian Gutekunst is approaching the entire 53 and practice squad situation. In his last real press conference before the regular season, Brian Gutekunst talked about feeling like he would need all 69 players the Packers have to make it through the season. This is probably just the logical outcome of that. Rather than churning through those last three to five spots on the roster, they're churning through the last four or five spots on the practice squad. Let's turn back a couple weeks and talk about Dalen Mack just as an example. So, released a couple times in a little over a month by a couple different teams. The Packers bring him in, sign him to the practice squad, just really for a look-see, see if he's not healthy or see why other teams have, have let him go despite being a fairly promising prospect. Uh, they they take a look, and now he's gone. He's been replaced with Billy Wynn, another defensive lineman who takes his place, who in turn takes the place of Wilming, uh, Willington Prevalon, who's been promoted to the active roster, or at least he was last week. Ultimately, this just works out to Brian Gutekunst turning roster spots like 65 through 69 instead of 48 through 53. I think that's ultimately what that is here, and not really some bigger strategy. I will be interested to see what the Packers do to fill Lane Taylor's roster spot. Will they promote Jake Hansen from the practice squad uh, with Corey Lindsley hurting a little bit to give them a true center backup? That is one route they could go. Also, we should remember or remind people that they did bring Justin Britt in for a workout a while back, just before the start of the regular season. In fact, 
he's probably more of a long-term option, but don't let that name slip your memory. Remember that connection. Let's talk about Aaron Jones. Have to admit, before we even dive in here, this sort of stuff is not my favorite topic to talk about. If it was up to me, I would just sign everybody, and I'd be a really terrible GM because we'd be in cap hell in like a month. But this is the big Packers topic of the week, and I don't think this is going to go away. In fact, I think this is going to, until he either signs a new contract or moves on and, and plays elsewhere, this is going to be kind of the B-side story to whatever the Packers do this year. What are they going to do with Aaron Jones? So let's let's talk about it. I feel like long-term, I'm still formulating a take here. I, I'm not really sure where I come down philosophically on this. I don't think I'm a you-never-pay-running-backs guy. But I also don't think I'm a you-have-to-pay-your-really-good-running-back guy either. What I am, though, is a let's pull on the threads and see what comes out type of guy. So let's pull on a couple of the threads related to this argument. First, let's look at the discussion surrounding the Jones deal. I think there are some bad arguments out there. Here's two right off the bat. First, just this assumption that, well, he had a big game, so now you got to pay him. So a lot of that right after the game. Aaron Jones lights up the lines, got to pay this guy right now. Well, no, you don't. One game doesn't change anything. The argument surrounding whether or not to pay Aaron Jones is not moved one way or another by how he plays in one particular game. It shouldn't be, at the very least. The question about whether or not you pay a 25-year-old running back in an era where running backs are less valuable than they ever have been should not hinge on one game. This is a bigger philosophical question than that. I think there's also an argument out there that signing Aaron Jones is just going to be cost prohibitive because of what Aaron Jones is going to to make. Like regardless of the other cap stuff the Packers have going on, regardless of what the cap does next spring, if it actually contracts or not, there is a, a... an amount of people out there who seem to think that signing him is going to be cost prohibitive no matter what. I don't think that's necessarily true. Sports Illustrated's Albert Breer did a nice little thing on on an important aspect of this running back contract discussion at a larger level, talking about cash flow on recent new deals for running backs. It's really quite enlightening as to what these deals actually cost. So he breaks down a bunch of the the, the recent extensions for guys. Ezekiel Elliott, Austin Eckler, Christian McCaffrey, Derek Henry, Joe Mixon, Alvin Kamara, and Dalvin Cook all have signed new deals. The big money guys are Elliott, Eckler, and Henry. McCaffrey too. They're all in kind of a different stratosphere. But the three most recent ones, Joe Mixon, Kamara, and Dalvin Cook, are interesting. Breer writes, Mixon, Kamara, and Cook, all of them are under $10 million per year for the next three years as far as cash in hand. To me, that's a bargain for the players that they are. Over the same period of time, Amari Cooper will make $60 million in Dallas. Corey Littleton will get $36 million in Vegas. And Austin Hooper will make $32.5 million in Cleveland. 
But say what you will about running back value, and this is me now, not Breer. Say what you will about the value of the running back position. Do you think Joe Mixon, Alvin Kamara, and Dalvin Cook help you win more than Corey Littleton and Austin Hooper do? I think probably yes. So even if running backs aren't as valuable as they were, you can sign running backs to affordable deals. And that next three years thing is going to be key for Aaron Jones because whatever you think about running backs, it's hard to deny that running back production generally dips pretty severely after age 28, no matter how good a running back you are. And there are exceptions, yes. We saw one on Sunday. Adrian Peterson is certainly a notable exception. But it's not necessarily going to break the bank for you to sign Aaron Jones. So if both of those arguments, that he's too expensive or that you have to just sign him now because he's playing well, don't work, what is the calculus on an Aaron Jones deal? I think it comes down to a few questions. First, do running backs matter? That is the analytics catchphrase that analytic or that running backs don't matter. I almost said analytics don't matter. Ultimately, they don't. Nothing matters. Football might just go on all by itself, no matter what. Does football even exist? Who knows? I think generally I'm pro-analytics, but I'm also skeptical of some of the analytics on this one. This is, this is one, I, I think this question might be the truest test of analytics because it goes so counter to what you actually see with your eyes. Aaron Jones lit up lit up the Lions on Sunday. Aaron Rodgers didn't have to do all that much. If you asked who had the better game, the answer is, conventional wisdom-wise, Aaron Jones going away. Three touchdowns, 236 yards from scrimmage. But in terms of one of the most popular stats now, EPA, expected points added, Aaron Rodgers was right there with him, and it was close. May actually have have surpassed him. And that's for a couple simple reasons. Running the ball is less efficient than passing. Running the ball is a much smaller part of a team's overall success than passing the ball. Running the ball and defending the run are minuscule in their effect on the game, compared to passing the ball and defending the pass. It's not even worth citing the numbers hardly on it anymore because it's just so overwhelmingly true. The Packers are a really glaring exception to that, and I think that colors some of the discussion around Aaron Jones a little bit. Other teams are really good at running on the Packers, so we've got to be really good at running on other teams, right? Not really. It's also probably true that building a running game with a bunch of pretty good guys is probably more cost-efficient and cost-effective and just leads to a healthier roster than building around one really good guy. However, I'm not always sure that it's true that elite backs are only elite because of the circumstances surrounding them. That's one of the arguments about the effect of running backs, that it's largely circumstantial, that he put the same or different guys into the same 
circumstances, and they'll have pretty similar results. Why do I think that, though? Well, based on the study that we did earlier this year, the most talented backs produce the most, and those are the guys that are getting taken early in the draft. Our study on DVOA and DYAR, the two big numbers when it comes to running efficiency, showed that the backs who are most productive are taken early. It's the first, second, and third round picks, those guys that are at the top of the draft. There is a high miss rate on evaluating running backs, but that's where the best ones are coming from. And you can't find those backs as easily. I hear that all the time, and I'm just not convinced that it's true. You cannot find these backs as easily because they are getting drafted high. The, the flip side is true as well. Running backs are very hard to evaluate successfully. Look at Leonard Fournette. He was a beast in college, pretty pedestrian in the NFL. Everything in the, in, that he did in college would have pointed you to a guy who's just going to eat up the league in the NFL, but it, it didn't work out. And that happens again and again and again and again. Trent Richardson, another good example. But those guys just don't grow on trees either. There is not, no matter what you've been told, there is just simply not this flow of late-round running backs who are becoming superstars, who are producing among the their elite peers. It's just, it doesn't exist. It's not there. On a per-play basis, it might be. But when it comes to overall production, it just isn't true. It's just simply not. Looking at the balance of the analytics, I do probably lean slightly towards running backs not mattering overall, but it's closer, I think, than it used to be. And there is still a huge fly in the running backs don't matter ointment. It's running backs who can contribute in the passing game. Now, throwing to running backs is not super efficient, generally. But Aaron Jones, in the passing game, plays a lot more like a wide receiver than a running back, especially this year. Even counting all the checkdowns that he's had this year, he's almost more than doubled his average depth of target from last year. Last year was around two and a half yards downfield. Today it's up up to almost five. That's ridiculously far downfield for a running back, and that's because the Packers are throwing a lot of wide receiver-style routes to Aaron Jones, and he is making plays when they do. Running backs who can do that and who can also run like he does do have some value. That skill set is not easily replaceable. It's not the same as just a guy who runs downfield in a in a zone blocking scheme, piling up a bunch of yards like he's an early 2000 Denver Broncos back. Those guys might grow on trees. Guys like Aaron Jones, not as much. The second big question here is where Aaron Jones falls in the pecking order. In a vacuum, if it's just Aaron Jones and you can get an affordable number on him, say under $10 million a year, if it's a four-year $36 million extension for Aaron Jones, that's $9 million a year, it's not going to be that. It's just not. Then you probably do it. But that's not the only circumstance here. The Packers have some other big contracts coming up. Here are four noteworthy free agents, David Bakhtiari, Kevin King, Corey Lindsley, and Jones. Of those, who is the most valuable of the four? It's got to be David Bakhtiari, right? Elite tackle play is the hardest thing to replace of the four positions on that group. You've got a, a left tackle, a tackle, let's just call him a tackle. You've got a cornerback, you've got a center, and you've got a running back. 
of those four, it's in that order. It's tackle, corner, center, running back in the hardest-to-replace order. Lindsley is probably gone. You can manufacture yourself a center who is passable if you have to. Jeff Saturday was awful for the Packers in 2011, and it really didn't matter at all. Didn't stop them at all from putting up big numbers that year. So then it comes down to, really, Kevin King versus Aaron Jones, and the ready-made argument does not favor Kevin King there. Jones is a better player than Kevin King. But cornerbacks, even like average cornerbacks, are still probably more value than a, valuable than a, a good running back, a really good one. And that's, that's tough to swallow even for me. I'm probably a bigger Kevin King defender than most. And it's, it's a lot closer than I feel comfortable really saying out loud in the Kevin King versus Aaron Jones discussion. But let's leave that one for aside for a second. The third big question I think you have to ask about the Packers and Aaron Jones is whether or not they didn't already make their big running back spend. Now, this is not a free agent deal, but they drafted Aaron er, A.J. Dillon in the second round last spring. And was that it? Was that their big running back move? I don't know, but I think it factors in here. Dylan is extremely cheap right now. He's, he's even on the expensive side in the broad scope of things, though the, the grand scheme of things when it comes to running back contracts. But a second-round pick and a $10 million per year contract at the same position in different players is a lot of resources, especially at a position that is not one of the most valuable on your roster. We talked a lot about what a good running back can do for you. That's true. But what a, a good running back can do for you is a lot less than a corner, an edge rusher, a safety, an offensive lineman, a defensive lineman, a wide receiver, a tight end, and certainly less than a quarterback. How many resources do you really want to spend on that position? And so this all circles back to why I really don't like having this discussion. Because ultimately it just comes down to accounting. It's price versus value. What's his price and how much do you value that? I think there's a case to be made that Aaron Jones is uniquely valuable. If not in the league as a whole, to the Packers certainly. And it's one that might sway me depending on when you catch me. But the price attached to that value is where things get complicated. And I know that is the most basic take you can have about any contract situation. Well, if the price is right, well, no kidding. If the price is right, I mean, think about car shopping again. To circle back to that, that, that argument that we've talked about before, that discussion that we've talked about before, running backs are a lot like cars. You're better off buying a practical one than the one that you really, really want. But if the price is right, I might pass up that sensible grocery getter SUV that gets good gas mileage for that sports car. But the price is rarely going to be right there. What's the value going to have to be? So what would I do right now? I think that it comes down to three different Johns. 
This is the when-you-catch-me argument. First is sensible John. I trust the numbers, even if Jones is an elite player, even if he's providing positive value as a receiver and as a runner, even if he can't easily be replaced. The vast majority of the numbers show that losing a running back, even a really good one, is not going to destroy your team. Plus, there's a cap crunch coming. Plus, you've got some other free agents that you want to sign. If it comes down to signing Kevin King and Corey Lindsley or just Aaron Jones, you might go in the value direction there. Get two for the price of one. There's also Hart John, who wants to be nice to everybody, wants to pay your good players, and then just hope everything works out. Hart John does not make a very good general manager because he wants everybody to be happy. Then you've got the third guy who's just absolutely insane, John, who says trade Aaron Jones right now because his value is never going to be higher. I don't think that can be completely discounted. That wouldn't be what I would do. But if I called someone, did a GM heat check and called the GM that I thought was dumb and said, hey, you got any first round picks that you're not planning on using right now? Because I've got one gently used running back who's one of the best at his position who can be yours for just the low, low price of one 2021 first round draft pick. What do you say? Heck, I could even let him go for a first and a fourth. I've got some other guys on the phone here. I, I thought I'd call you first just to see what you say. You know, we're friends. So I wanted to give you the, the first crack at this. But there are some, there's some other guys. I've, I've heard some things. What do you think? First and a third. We could probably do a first and a second. You know, we're friends. Never hurts to ask, right? But that would be insane. If you held my feet to the fire, I think I become sensible, John, and trust the numbers. Inside with signing Bakhtiari and one of... Kevin King or Corey Lindsley, and then just trusting in my evaluation of A.J. Dillon, which is another can of worms. But when it comes to what I think they will do, I think the Packers are going to re-sign Aaron Jones. I think it's become clear in the Brian Gutekunst era that he values positions differently than a lot of people in the media, even conventional wisdom, a lot of the analytics community. And I think we've got some pretty firm examples there. Trading up for Jordan Love. Not drafting a receiver since 2018. Drafting Josiah DeGara in the third round. Signing Jimmy Graham. Keeping Jimmy Graham when he didn't have to. I don't know if we've got a firm read yet on how Brian Gutekunst actually values players. But I think it's clear that there's a little bit of zig to the zigzag there. Does that make sense? He does things a little bit differently than conventional wisdom might indicate. And that's why I think he's just going to do something that may be unpopular in some segments, some circles, and sign Aaron Jones. And ultimately, that's not going to kill the Packers either. If letting a running back walk won't kill your team, signing a mid-20s running back who can do some elite things, who fits well into your offense, probably isn't going to kill you either. Ultimately, I think the Packers will retain Aaron Jones. 
And it's going to be an interesting story to follow once we get those contract numbers and see what the Packers could have done instead. But that's a discussion we're not going to be able to have for quite some time. I'm interested in your thoughts on this. If you were going to be the general manager of the Packers handling this Aaron Jones contract situation, would you resign him and please add this part of this? How much would you pay him? Because that's what it really comes down to. Price versus value. What's the price you want on Aaron Jones and what number wouldn't you pass? If you like this podcast and you think somebody else would benefit from it, go ahead and share it. Help us bring this show to more people. Help us grow the tent and expand the conversation we're having around the Green Bay Packers because ultimately that's going to help everybody become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.